Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to get into today. It is an overrated, underrated Wednesday. So if you have uh, topics you'd like to get in, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Also, Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru. I know um, I actually, and, and maybe it should be expected because the Canucks gave up six goals last night. And Thatcher Demko, in turn, gave up six goals last night. But I actually got a lot of texts and tweets on whether or not Demko is, um, well, that he's not playing well right now. That he's struggling. That he is struggling, in the great words of Joe Namath. Struggling. Uh, he he is not struggling yeah. nearly as much as the Canucks are struggling in terms of giving up really bad scoring chances. I mean, okay, so I, I went through this on the postgame show. I don't want to lose my cool again. Ooh, here we go. The first three goals. Yes. Two on one, and then the other two the guys are completely alone in front of the net. Like, yes. I mean, we're not talking about, hey, a floater getting past them or a wrist shot coming out up from, you know, from the circle coming down or whatever. It's it's literally like the the biggest, best scoring chances you can have, essentially. The backdoor play. I mean, what are, you, what are you supposed to do? He makes a save. Nobody cleans up the back door. The puck goes in. That's four goals where people are in cold. Like, what do you want from the guy? Um, it's, <laughs> I would say Demko is, uh, it was as much a picture on how defense and the way the team is playing affects the goalies numbers. That was what last night was. And they've had a couple of those games lately, right? They've gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, 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 win (laughs) six and seven over their last 13 games after starting 10 to and one. And there have been more of these leakier types of, defensive performances and we'll get Woodley's take on Thatcher Demko and if the Canucks recent uh, increase in goals allowed is on their goaltending or if it's more on a much more leaky defense that we saw early in the season but the biggest story sat and I know you and Bick reacted to it last night during the Canucks Central post game show but Rick Tockett, tired of answering questions about Andre Kuzmenko and what he thinks of his play lately, which says a lot without saying a lot, and then quickly mentioned he needs to forecheck. We'll start with that. Yeah. It's the next chapter in this developing relationship, and last year Kuzmenko was scoring. Tockett wasn't always pleased with him, but the overall take was, you know, he wants to learn. He's engaged in, in what we want him to do and still learning the game. But it it's pretty obvious that the leash is a lot shorter now than it yeah. was when Tockett first got in and behind the bench for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, it clear it clean, clearly is. And he's not producing. And Tockett himself said the other day, if you're scoring, you have more leeway, but yes. you're not scoring. Yes. It's a pretty simple inqu- equation. And when you watch some of the shifts Kuzmenko has, they're problematic. Yeah. The coach mentioned, I want shorter shifts. He even mentioned that at times Kuzmenko will, has told him that he feels like he has energy and he can push. So it's clearly a, a, a point of contention. Not but necessarily then you'll see him towards the end of a shift not be as engaged in a forecheck as he needs to be. And, uh, you know, it was part of the reason the, the first two goals happened last night. And we talk about 
how that pays off. Yeah. And how it doesn't work out out for you. And I can understand if Kuzmenko was scoring that, okay, he has these issues in his games and there are problems that we have in terms of agreeing on doing things, but he's scoring. Yeah. But when you're not scoring and then when the other team is scoring going the other way and you're really not doing your job and not playing to the quote-unquote staples, the non-negotiables, it puts the coach in a tough spot. Like if you if you do things that are non-negotiables or you don't do things that are non-negotiables, it's really different than Tyler Myers. I see people texting in. I know people mentioned this last night and you saw it on social media. Oh my God, my mentions are just, what about Myers? And hey, 100%, I mean, we can criticize him and, and it's fair to criticize him. His mistakes though aren't, the n- not meeting the non-negotiables. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Like every mistake's not the same. And I'm not making excuses for Tyler Myers. Like I'm I'm with people. I just don't think Mark Friedman coming in and playing 20 minutes is going to fare any better than Tyler Myers. No. So you're kind of stuck with what you have in terms of options. If you had Ethan Bear, for instance, and he was healthy and going, then we can have a conversation about would you be better off potentially not playing this guy? Right, especially when you get you know Susie healthy, and if you have seven D, you have to make a decision. Sure, but you're not there. And his mistakes, as bad as they are, aren't the same mistakes that Kuzmenko is making. Mm-hmm. And that's the big issue here in terms of where the coach has to put his foot down differently. If Myers wasn't meeting the basic expectation in terms of the system and staples, we'd have a different conversation about him. It's a uh, it's a problem. Like, the Kuzmenko thing is a problem. And I, I don't know how else you can how you can view it to not be a problem because this is a guy that scored 39 goals last year, yeah. is a big piece of the overall offense of this team that is missing. And you're feeling that a little bit more. Even though the Canucks have still found ways to score goals, their top six is not winning a ton of matchups lately, especially when they go up against better teams. We saw it against New Jersey. We saw it against Vegas, saw it against Colorado. Kuzmenko is part of that issue with how he's going. They need him to play better on offense. They need him to play better all over the ice, Yeah, but it starts with playing better all over the ice. And, and one of the numbers that really stuck out to me today, as I was looking through some things, Kuzmenko he needs to shoot the puck more. Rick Tockett said as much himself. There's a couple of moments last night, even on the power play, where he has opportunities to shoot and he passes it up. At five on five this year, of players that have played at least 100 minutes, forwards that have played at least 100 minutes, he's 29th lowest in the league in shots per 60. This is a guy that scored 39 goals yeah. last year. And he's taking as many shots as guys like Nicholas Obey Kubel, um, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Reeves. You know, that's the type of company he's in and the amount of shots he's taking per 60 minutes while on the ice. Like, so not even defensively, but this guy isn't even sniffing enough offense right now for this team with the amount of shots that he's taking and is so far from being a 39 goal scorer compared to what he was last year that it's it's staggering right now. It, it wasn't like this about seven, eight games ago, if you go back and looked at kind of his numbers and it was like, okay, he his shot rates are pretty similar, slightly less. And the the, the difference was really in the tipped shot opportunities that he, he, doesn't, he didn't have. The rest was kind of very similar, but it's tailing off even more. And the coach mentioned on the power play, he wants him to be more aggressive. And how often did you see last night, 
he's kind of again going, yep. you know, backhand, forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, forehand, just passes back to Queen Hughes, right? And it's just that doesn't do anything. It's, it's you got to go downhill. You, you got to do something. And he got a couple of shots blocked and he had a couple opportunities. It wasn't like he didn't do anything. And I thought even five on five, he created a couple of chances. So it's not like he, he doesn't provide any spark or anything. He's just not finishing on it. And the volume's certainly not there. So how are you helping the team outside of dangling a couple of guys and creating the odd scoring chance? What are you doing to help the team win? He's picking up some points, but they're not really primary playmaking points. No. And his last three goals, all pretty much garbage time type goals. It's not, it's not helping the team. That's the other part of this. Like for those people that are texting in about Myers, uh, Myers has given this team more value this year than Andre Kuzmenko has for large stretches of it. I, w- I would say that uh, early on in the season is a big part of the power play. Sure. You can make that argument, but you know, Myers, especially lately was bad last night, but has been fine for the most part over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But when you ask him to do more, yeah, that's where the problems come come in. And, you know, we spoke to Woodley last night and we're going to talk to him coming up a little bit about how it takes time for D partners to find some chemistry, especially yeah. guys getting familiar with new players and everything. And you could see Zadorov and Myers had a few miscommunication moments, certainly. And maybe that plays a part into it. But there's also this just overall fatigue with Myers. Yes. You've seen this for five years. They paid this guy so much money. Yes. The Canucks talk about cap issues, and here's a guy making $6 million who struggles almost every night and makes mistake after mistake. People are sick and tired of it, right? And I get it. Like It's, it's, it's actually understandable PTSD. It really is, right? Yeah. So every time he has a bad game, all those feelings and emotions come rushing back, and you're just sick and tired and fed up with it, right? But yes, there's been some moments where he's been kind of fine. The other issue, I think, and we can talk about Kuzmenko and where that leads in a second, but are we talking about Kuzmenko nearly as much if Pedersen's doing his thing? Because we saw, we, well, we can talk about JT Miller being inconsistent and, you know, he's been crushed at times in his matchups. Absolutely. Like, he hasn't been perfect. And it was against the bottom six last night mm-hmm. when the coach decided to deploy him not head to head, but, you know, try to take advantage of opportunities. But it was JT Miller's doggedness that spearheaded that comeback. In it was more period. Miller and Hughes that, uh, I know you hate this term, drag the Canucks back into yeah. the fight. No, it, it didn't. I, I don't like the term. I, I don't mind it every once in a while, but I don't like it as in like somebody has to always do this for yes. you. And last night that was Miller and Hughes. Um, so I sort of look at Pedersen and this slump, and I'm not overly worried that he's eventually going to come out of it. Played pretty well Saturday against the Calgary Flames and has dominated some of the lighter matchups that the Canucks have had, especially early in the season. But this player is about to make, as we continue to ballpark it, between 11 and $12 million per season, right? I think that's a fair assessment mm-hmm. of what Pedersen is about to get paid on his next contract and the total money, whatever it might be, I'm more just focused on this guy is going to be one of the highest average annual value players in the National Hockey League and one of the very few that make over $11 million per season. That's at least where I'm thinking this ends up. Last night, Jack Hughes was far better than Elias Pettersson. Last Thursday, Jack Eichel was far better than Elias Pettersson. You go back... Colorado, Nathan McKinnon, those guys better than Elias Patterson. Mm-hmm. Even the Leaf game. Mind you, that one, maybe not the best example because 
neither of the star players like Austin Matthews wasn't necessarily the factor in, in why the Leafs dominated that game. The bottom six scored a bunch of goals and William Nylander for, for the Maple Leafs in that one. But my point is when, when we've had the other top centers in the league go up against the Canucks, has Elias Pettersson shone and been the best of that bunch in a lot of the games we've seen this year? No, I, I can't say that with, a ton of confidence that he has. Maybe you can make the argument about the Dallas game, but I wouldn't put Rupe Hints necessarily in the same category as an Elias Pettersson. Um, the New York Rangers game, well, Mika Zibanejad was more lined up against JT Miller in that specific game. So I'm still... I understand why Pettersson is going to get the money that he's going to get, but I still need to see him have more success against the other top guys in the league and help the Canucks have more success in those games as the season goes on. Has he had success against those types of players in the past? Yeah. He he had over 100 points last year? He did. He's had struggles, yes. Is, is it a reflection of him not being able to match against those guys truly, or a reflection of a player who's f- facing those guys when he's not at his best? It's probably the latter right now, but you know we're going on... More than a 10-game stretch now where Pedersen hasn't been at his best. So, I agree he has not been good recently. Yeah. He has to be better. There's, there's, there's no question he has to be better. In terms of who he is long-term and betting on the talent on a player who's, what, 25 years old? Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those things where he's going to get better, guys. <laughs> like it, it, it's th- This isn't peak Pedersen you're seeing right now. He's struggling, yes, maybe with injuries, whatever it is. But he'll get better through this. We saw him at some of the lowest lows you can see a hockey player at be at. Like he, he looked like Bambi on ice. He was like falling over. Remember he was tripping over the blue line? Yes. The North Division year? Even you couldn't know, handle two, a puck, couldn't handle a pass to save his life. Two years ago in Travis Green's last year as the head coach. Remember Pedersen, how much he struggled before the season? People were calling for him to go to the AHL. Yep. People questioned if, if he's even worth keeping on the roster. People thought, did he lose his magic? Right? Yeah. And what happened after that? He got better. Mm-hmm. And got significantly better. Do we not think that this player is going to improve from where he is today and keep getting better and still be an elite performer in the league? I believe he will. So for me, like it's irrelevant whatever is going on right now. He needs to be better, no doubt. But in terms of making a, a long-time commitment to him and being secure in doing so, I don't have any questions based on you know him struggling for a 10 or 12-game patch. It is... <sighs> With Pedersen not going the way that he usually goes, that does play a factor in Andre Kuzmenko. How much did Kuzmenko ride the coattails of Pedersen last year? Could he, be the question you might be having right now. Like Pedersen's, you know, he's a he's a he's a kingmaker, right? Like he's, yes. when he's at his best, because he he elevates everybody around him, and that's why we talk about him being such an incredible player, and that's why we should hold him to that standard. And, and I agree in terms of not being afraid of criticizing him and, and saying he has to be better and. And, and perhaps changing things around. Like, I, I think it's all fair because at his best, he makes everybody around him incredibly better. Yes. So when he's not going, Kuzmenko's not going to be at his best, right? And that also should tell you about how you should feel about a player long term because you also need to have guys that independent of him can still be able to produce and be at a higher level. And I do think Kuzmenko is also not helping himself, Dan. You know, like earlier this season, I, I was saying, hey, he was doing a lot of things well. He's gotten away from that. Last year, you know, he wasn't back checking the same way, yeah. right? And he's doing better in, in, those, in that regard. But he's not producing and not scoring. 
So you also have to look at guys that who who do you look at long term here that can be guys who can independent of a guy like Pedersen drive play. Yeah. Is Kuzmenko that or not? I don't know. But Pedersen right now, if he's going, all these questions we have about other guys, I don't think are as loud as they are right now. So when Kuzmenko is um when you see the way that he's played, when you look at the things he's not doing in last night's game and some of the more recent games, needs to forecheck, needs to shoot more. When Tockett sees these things, he sees, well, Kuzmenko's not forechecking, so how is he ever going to get into those scoring positions? Yeah. If he's not doing A, B, and C, he's never going to get to the spots that he needs to get to in order to score goals and really maximize his value in the offensive end. That's the way the coach sees it. And like they're butting heads here. There's no question. There's a very real chance Kuzmenko is a healthy scratch again tomorrow after you know what we saw last night. Not that he was the only issue for the Vancouver Canucks, but it's an ongoing issue, yeah. and it's similar mistakes that he's making. And what do coaches hate more than anything else? Guys who continuously make the same mistakes. Yeah. So I can understand it from Tockett's perspective. He's trying and wants this guy, understands – Tuckett knows he needs this guy in order for this team to have success because he doesn't have enough offensive drivers on this team. But are you getting to a point where your coach and this player, they're just, they don't mesh well. They don't, like coach does not get on with this guy, doesn't see this player becoming that guy for him. And that's where this could really become an issue for the Vancouver Canucks. So I don't disagree with the notion of he may not be a fit. And that's problematic, right? Yeah. But I also wonder, on which winning team is he a fit on? We make this about, hey, this is Rick Tockett versus Andre Kuzmenko. Is it not Andre Kuzmenko versus being a National Hockey League top six player? Right. For but, a good team. Yeah. Which good team is going to be like, hey, it's fine. Go out there and, you know... Uh, don't do the things you want to go play on a team that's tanking and score 25 goals whatever sure yeah but when you're not even producing you know so so for me i agree and that's not to say that hey talk it doesn't uh deserve some level of criticism if if kuzmenko doesn't work out if he can't reach kuzmenko we talk about him being a good teacher getting the best out of players and if you can't get get the best out of kuzmenko well it's it's a blemish on the record to some degree like hey you weren't able to make the most out of this guy who scored 39 goals last year you know, yeah. what part did you play in not getting him there? And I think that's fair to question. But in terms of him not getting there, if he doesn't get there in terms of the things he has to do and, and the shift lengths and just the, the positioning and, and where he goes, like no coach that's on a good team is going to trust that. You know, and I think sometimes we make this about this individual coach versus this player. And I think oftentimes the players that have these types of issues, it's not really about who the coach is. Yeah. It's about what you need to do to be an NHL player. And every coach is going to feel the same way, especially in, in high leverage situations if they're trying to trust players out, out on the ice. When Tockett first got here, I think there was a question of whether or not Brock Besser would ever be a Rick Tockett player. Mm-hmm. He's kind of gone on pretty well. He figured it out. Does anybody bit. does anybody get more praise than Brock Besser in terms of practice habits and working hard and having From the IQ? Coach, it doesn't feel like right. It. Like how often has he mentioned Brock Besser's practice habits? How he relies on him? How smart he is? The details that are good in his game. He's singling that out for a good reason, and yeah. you have to give Brock a lot of credit. And and I do think, to a lot, large extent, Brock's not getting enough credit. Again, last night scores again. I mean, has what, 18 yeah. goals on the season, and he, he's just been incredible, and he's just kind of doing so quietly because he's not dynamic. But 
you're right. You see one player really embrace that. Like Tockett expressed it. real pessimism over Besser when he first got here last year. Or you could sort of hear it in his tone with the way Besser was playing when Tockett first came in. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. We all saw the same thing. Like he really struck even he himself admits yes. to this. And now he's won him over. You could see it with Nils Hoglander a little bit, even though while he is gaining a little bit more trust, Tockett's been very um honest about where he feels Hoaglander still needs to grow in his game. So we'll see how this continues to play out with that player specifically. I don't think like this is in a world where Kuzmenko can't get back in the good graces of the coach. It's just, he's got to put in the work to do it. Yeah. So as much as my tweet said, talk it versus Kuzmenko. And it does feel like that at, at many times. Um, the battle is there to be won for Kuzmenko necessarily yeah. because Tockett wants to lose this battle. He well, wants the player to perform and get back to being what he was last year. Is he? I mean, has he not um, given everybody a chance that yeah. he's he reprimanded, so to speak? Yep. We saw it with Joshua Hoaglander, even who he's still kind of you can see, you know, have moments with or whatever. And, and even Myers earlier this year was, and I know people will be like, what? He's still making mistakes, but uh, he was kind of benched. For, yes. for, it was like his ice time was really limited for a while because his game was After really that, poor. After uh, that, was it the Nashville game? Yeah. I was yeah. like, okay. And he even said on, he's like, he's got to be better. Like he's, you know, he, uh, on post game, he, he wasn't afraid of saying, you yeah. know, he, Myers has to be better. So I don't think he's afraid of reprimanding guys, but he does give them a chance to come back. And it is now up to Kuzmenko. Like, that's where I'm at now. Like, I, especially watching some of the stuff he did last night. And it's like, okay, well, the coach has made it very clear. And he's told us what it is he's asking for you to do. And you're not doing it. Uh, Johnny Mack on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Kuzmenko is an artist. He needs more freedom to express himself. Talk it is smothering his potential. I mean, listen, he's not struggling. He's not playing well. It's fair. But it's... The thing is... when there's one thing to talk about smothering somebody's creativity. It's another to say, hey, listen, it's you're 45 seconds into your shift already. Yeah. If you don't change and get caught up ice and we get scored on, that's a problem. And that's yeah. exactly what keeps happening. Yeah. And sometimes he gets off and somebody else jumps on, but it's too late and a chance happens. Like you're, it's costing you. What is he on? Like, this is a team that has one of the best goal differentials in the National Hockey League, right? Yes. You know what his plus minus is? I haven't looked at it, no. Zero. Hmm. Most guys are a plus on this team. Yeah. And that's that's a tough look. So especially when you've played most of the season with Elias Patterson. It's not great. Yeah. You know, even the numbers don't you know aren't very friendly to him. Uh the numbers aren't lying. And for to to that text as well, for most coaches, they will say, especially for their offensive guys and their more creative players, that they understand aren't always gonna be the most defensively aware. It's stick to our staples, stick to our non-negotiables, play to the system, but you can still be free to be creative when the moment is there for you. And that's where Kuzmenko is maybe kind of lost it a little bit, always in his head about the system and rather than being his own creative self. Because Tockett has even said this specifically about Kuzmenko. I don't want him to lose his creativity. We just need him to abide by some of the rules here. Yeah, and, and it's not just about um kuzmenko right when we look at the canucks over the past 13 games you were mentioning they're six and seven yeah a lot of their top guys have struggled even yes. quinn and Her like heronic he had his worst game defensively as a canuck there's been a couple that in the last couple of weeks that haven't been 
Picassos from Philip Hronik. And Hughes and Hronik as a pair, we, we've uh, spoken about how great they've been. They've been having, they've had some really bad moments defensively over this past 13 game stretch too, and they had a number of them last night. Last night was a game where nobody was clean. No, and it's not even so much about hey, you're blaming one guy. You know, people are saying oh, was Kuzmenko the only guy that was at fault. No, it's about why is he the guy that keeps getting singled out, and is it justified or not? That's a discussion, but it's not his fault. Like and as we mentioned. If Pedersen's going, are we having this discussion? If he's, you know, floating around and, and riding the coattails a little bit here and producing? Probably not. Yeah. It's, uh, last night was ugly. It felt like uh, last year's Canucks. It felt like Boudreaux's Canucks more so last night. Fell into a lot of bad habits that we used to see from this team and uh, some goals. Like, I don't know what they were on the expected goal margin, but, you know, they were basically goals. I mean, you give up the chances it, they were given up in the first period. So, uh, we mentioned this before how the Canucks metrics were really bad. Yeah. Um, the first 13 games of the season. Uh, these, when they were 10 2 and 1? Yeah. These last 13 games are Corsi. They're 14th in the National Hockey League. Not bad. Uh, their expected goals uh, percentage now after last night's game, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are 7th. So over these 13 games, when they're 6 and 7, their expected goals by the public data is 53.84, which is 7th best in the National Hockey League. Their high to danger chance scoring differential is 53.85%, which puts them at 8th overall in the National Hockey League. So listen, you can you can do whatever you want with this data. And I've been saying you got to be careful with how you read into the public data. But these last 13 games, and we're, we're, we're criticizing how bad they've looked and all the mistakes yeah. they're making, by the public data... They've been a top seven team uh, in the important metrics. Uh, be very careful with uh, some of those metrics because we can all see it. Canucks haven't been nearly as good in these last 13 as they were in the first 13, despite what the underlying stats might suggest. Uh, we'll dive into this a little bit more, actually, with Kevin Woodley. His take on how much the Canucks defense is dipping a little bit and how that is affecting their netminders, Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, fresh off of uh, smashing a slice of pizza. Yeah. From uh, AJ's Brooklyn. Quite good. Very good pizza. They supplied the uh, the office staff party with some uh, some great pizza. Even the meatballs. Got to give credit where it's due. I'm usually not a meatball guy at a restaurant, but uh, these ones were good. Wow. Look at that. I will say. Uh, all right. Enough of that. Making everybody hungry. Let's bring in our next guest. Talking about the Canucks, goalie guru, NHL.com. He is Kevin Woodley and uh, Ingle Magazine, of course. What's happening, Woodley? Not much, not much. I'm just trying to recover from last night. That was, uh, that was a deadline writer's worst <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I mean, you get 11 goals, but uh, it it certainly... Uh, it, it resi- you weren't writing on deadline, Reach. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I definitely was not. So uh, at least it didn't go into overtime, I guess, is uh, is maybe the, the other benefit. But um, Can I let you in on a little secret? What's that? Overtime gives you a chance to reset. Okay. Winning goals with 34 seconds left after the chaos of the third <laughs> period when you have to file a story before you get to the locker room, but... 
also need to be in the locker room before the players talk. That's the fun stuff. Oh, well, okay. It's good exercise. You, you have to. You got to run. Who doesn't have to? Who doesn't like enjoy running at work? Literally have to run around the bottom of the building to get into the visitors. It is pretty funny. Somebody one day is going to capture a video of me doing that run, and it's going to be embarrassing <laughs> as all hell. So, um, I, I mean, look, last night, uh, especially from the Canucks' perspective, defensively in that first period, uh, it was pretty pretty disastrous. And I've Sat and I both uh, fielded a lot of texts and, and tweets about Thatcher Demko's play lately and and how uh, the numbers aren't looking as shiny as they were early in the season. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is um, also the product of just the team not defending as well in front of their goaltender. I feel like it's, it's probably the main reason. Can you have a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B? Like, okay. Like, there's, there's both here, right? Um, you know, and part of this was – and we talked about this, right? Like part of this was sort of the lofty heights at which Thatcher Demko was playing early in the season, right? Like, you know, like plus six and a half save percentage numbers that just never happen for a long period of time. Like some of the historically great seasons end up around plus three. I think Shush Derkins was like plus three and a half and you should have given them the heart trophy that year. Right. So to be at plus six and a half, um, like that, you just don't keep that up. Nobody does. Um, Ken Dryden, you know, like that's how far back you'd have to go if we did the math back then, right? Like this is, so so it was expected. Um, has it come down a little bit further, say since November 15th when they went on this sort of win one, lose one streak that they're on right now? Um, yeah, it's down to, you know, plus, plus a half percent. Like it's down to sort of mid-pack in the NHL from number one with a bullet for the first month plus. So, you know, we'll see where it settles out. And part of it dropping is the environment's gotten a little bit worse. Um, you know, top. we talked about them being a top five team defensively. Now, some of those metrics off the rush, they're still seventh since that November 15th, sort of, you know, drawing a line in the sand there when, when, when they ended that, I think it was a 10-1-2 and two streak or 10-2-1 and one streak. Um, you know, rush, rush against goes from third to seventh. Uh, five on five overall, they dropped from fourth in the NHL to 17th. They're in zone defending, and we saw this last night, down to 22nd since November 15th. Um, PK continues to be a problem. So, uh, yeah, the underlying numbers have gotten worse, and also the goaltending hasn't bailed them out to the degree it was before. And it's it's not like it's it's not like it's subpar. It's just not at the level, you know, that super high lofty level that he established early in the season. And as I said at the time. That's really tough to maintain. I think we know that, you know, again, nobody does, but also he's better than, than this overall. And, and then last night, like, man, like 14 high, 14 high danger chances against. You know, the, he actually did not grade out at the end of the night that far below expected. It was about a half a goal. The Devils actually manufactured five and a half goals of expected offense. Like, that doesn't happen very often. And it's only happened three times to the Canucks all season. Philly, Tampa Bay, and then last night where they've given up that degree. It's only the third time all year they've given up double-digit high-danger chances. And the Devils are a team that can do that to you. They've done it to a few other teams around the league. But you give them that kind of time and space. And it's like like last night on the post-game show was sad. And, you know, people are asking, you know, like, where's the big save? Well, okay, Jesper Bratt scores on a two-on-one. How about the big save when he was on a breakaway from the hash marks down 20 seconds earlier? 
So there are big saves in there. There were, I think the first four or five chances of the game for New Jersey were great A's. Um, You just can't keep giving those up that often and expect the goaltending to continuously bail you out. And Kevin, you know, last night we were talking, you know, on our way out of the rink, and you gave me a ride in your uh, Hyundai Ionic 5, and I mean, it's a pretty sick ride. We'll talk more about that coming up uh, at the end. Here. Yeah, because Reach forgot to read at the top. I think it's because he forgot how to say Hyundai, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that we'll teach we'll teach Reach how to say Hyundai. And now that I've uh, taken a ride with, with Kevin Woodley, I can speak eloquently about what a great ride that is. But but nonetheless, we were talking about how this team has been a, a tale of two seasons so far now, right? The first 13 yeah. games, 10-2-1, and one, and the last 13 six and seven so a 500 team the last 13 essentially before that a, a, a red hot team the 500 team looks a lot more like last year's hockey team so what are they right and I think now we're getting to that point of the season where they decide whether they're going to be that 500 team perhaps a team they showed or is it somewhere in the middle like I think it has to, it, it is going to go one way I just hope it doesn't nosedive but I think we're at, at a pivotal point of the season now yeah no I think it's a fair point and I think the thing about last night that my guess would have frustrated the coaching staff and Rick Tockett the most was the type of mistakes that led to an evening, you know, an evening we've seen far too many times here over the past couple of years. Um, but one that I, I think maybe they thought they were past. Like, and that's, you know, the structure supposed to bail you out when you're not at your best, like guy, multiple guys chasing the wrong spot, nobody covering the front of the net. I mean, to have, the breakdowns outside of the system and outside of the structure that they've, they've talked so much about since Rick arrived this at this point in the season season, I think, I think that's a little bit alarming. And so, you know, not ready to completely panic on it, but, but I think it's fair to say like, it'll be really interesting to see what the response is, especially with the red hot Minnesota wild team coming in, you know, on, th- on Thursday night. And then, you know, a couple of, couple of tough opponents uh, next week in Tampa Bay uh, and, and Florida, Carolina, kind of up and down and scuffling, but certainly a team much like New Jersey that if you have a night like Vancouver did last night, will pump a bunch by you. So um, this is a really interesting test. And interesting to note, too, that, you know, the games where they have gotten sort of filled in um, defensively and given up these chances, all against Eastern Conference teams. And we've got three of them coming in a row after the Wild here. So this next week, the rest of this homestand, uh, I think I think it's fair to say, Seth, that this is kind of a litmus test. Which way is this going to go? So you mentioned Minnesota there and uh, how they've been pretty hot since making the coaching change. Uh, what has changed for them? Is it the old story of a uh, new coach comes in and all of a sudden goalies are making saves? Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's funny because the numbers have improved. Like, listen, I was – I'd heard a couple things earlier in the week before they made the coaching change or last week, you know, or just, you know, listening to national broadcast and it's like, Oh, the wild can't get a save. And so anytime I hear that, I look, I, I want to look at the underlying numbers and you look under the hood and it's like, yeah, well, they're also 27th in five on five expected goals against high danger, right? They're giving up They're 17th off the rush. They're 28th in diesel. They're 30th on penalty kill um, before the coaching change. And so, yeah, you expect your goalies to especially, the year that Gustafson had, he was the only guy that had numbers similar to Allmark in terms of the adjusted save percentage. Um, wasn't anywhere near that. They were both right around expected, but this is a team that needs more. And in a tougher environment, they weren't getting it. So how much has it changed under John Hines? 
you know, if the metrics in a small sample, it's, it's gotten better. Not top of the league better, although interestingly, their offensive metrics, and this presents a challenge for the Vancouver Canucks the way they defended the other night, their offensive metrics since Hines took over, and again, tiny sample, four games, like top three in the league in all categories offensively. And, hey, listen, all it takes is one good game where everything clicks and you're against a team that's not defending to pump that up in a four-game sample. But they're, sco- they're generating under him at a, at a really high rate. Defensively, you know, the PK still isn't good. Um, they're middle of the pack in all the other metrics. But I guess that's b- better than being bottom five. So there's an improvement there. And the goaltending's bailing them out. Philip Gustafson, you know, speaking of numbers that are unsustainable – Gustafson since the coaching change, plus 6.1%. What did we say earlier about Demko? Like, capable of greatness, but you don't maintain that for a long period of time. Marc-Andre Fleury, plus 10% in his one start. Again, I still think Flower can play at a, at a very high level. And for, the, for pretty much all of last season, right up till that playoff start, he showed that. Um, he's been right around expected all year, uh, gotten a boost here. And so the one thing you can't measure – and even clear sight doesn't, is time and space. So if you give up a chance before the coaching change, was it a guy who got that chance off that pass or this screen and in that spot, all things we can measure, but was there any pressure on him? Was there a stick on his stick? Was there a body pressuring him or a block coming that forced him to get rid of it as opposed to, say, last night when we saw New Jersey here where guys are wide open in front of the net and they got a chance to dust it off, pick their head up, and, and pick their spot. Um, those things don't get measured, and they tend to be things that improve when you get a coach bump, like guys are harder on the back check. They make sure they're in position. So even if you give up some chances, the time and space element that we don't really get to measure with analytics improves defensively and that's where you see a boost in goaltending as well so i'm curious to see what they look like the goaltending's been great they're scoring a ton the underlying has improved but only marginally so on the defensive end and if it doesn't continue to improve asking your goalies to play at this level long term just doesn't happen well and they've won four in a row and they're still eight back of winnipeg and six back of the surprising arizona coyotes and those two teams i mean i think with jets of course i don't know about surprise but you know they played really well connor hellebuck looks like he's getting back into form connor ingram and the coyotes i mean they have five straight wins against five previous stanley cup winners i mean it just seems like they're rolling and how integral has goaltending been to both those teams um let's start let's start with uh with connor ingram um, because goaltending's been huge for them. And interestingly enough, Vimelka, you know, hasn't had the season. It started great, but it's kind of slipped of late, and it's been Ingram that's taken over. Uh, top 10 uh, in, in adjusted save percentage right now. Um, you know, listen, like, I like Arizona. I li- I'm biased towards the coach there. Uh, I, I, I heard him on Merrick's show the other day and may have planted the seed on a question that led off that interview because I'd done a, a panel with him at Hockey Canada where, that, where he talks about actually adjusting his PK when he was with Colorado to suit the specific styles and strengths of the goaltender. And so uh, having, having been a part of that sort of uh, panel discussion, just, I just loved that he included the goalies as part of those conversations. And you know how much of this is Connor Ingram, who I kind of tagged as a guy some, somebody should take off the waiver wire last year because of some of the underlying numbers. Like He's clearly a talent level there. And how much of this is the Coyotes being on the edge of top 10 defensive team sort of 
around 11th at five on five, um, you know, but also playing to the strengths of their goaltender. Whatever it is, it's a good mix. Ingram's on a heater. Um, but if you look at it over the course, like this isn't just this season. Go back to it took them to about December to get comfortable after the waiver claim with what they were doing in Arizona and to sort of start to play at the level that we we thought he was capable of. Since then, if you look for, like, just filter it for 2023, like the calendar year 2023, Connor Ingram has the fourth best save percentage in the entire National Hockey League. I think there are actually teams out there holding on to three goaltenders and having the, the three goaltender rotation because they're scared of losing one of their options on waivers and having him be the next Connor Ingram, frankly. So, um, you know, like, like full value to Ingram who went through through them through some things, uh, talked about the OCD diagnosis that that he that he went through and sort of has learned to manage, uh, and he's come out on the other side of it, sort of back to showing the talent that he had back when he was in Kamloops playing in the dub. Um, so it's it's really nice to see, and I know it's a great story, five straight Stanley Cup champions, um, but I, like I, I think there's some there's some stickiness and some legitimacy. Uh, to the Arizona Coyotes, in part because I believe there's some stickiness and legitimacy to how Connor Ingram is playing. One of those teams that was uh, doing the three goalie thing was uh, was Buffalo, and you know, Sat and I have actually touched on it. Um, whenever we see Buffalo, it seems like they're a bit of a mess defensively. A team mm-hmm. that's uh, young and still maturing on that end of the rink. Woodley is maybe a, a nice way of putting it, but what the heck is going on with the Buffalo Sabers? Yeah, I wish I could figure it out. I was just going to Google Eric Comrie, like, to see what his, like, you know, counting stats is, NHL.com save percentages right now. Um, because I think if, if, if you were to see that and then I were to tell you, hey, by the way, Eric Comrie is playing basically expected. Dude, he's got an 863. Oof. And that's expected. And yeah. now ClearSight, obviously, the NHL tends to overcount shots. So he's playing right at expected. Do you know what his. Expected save percentages on ClearSight Analytics, 845. Lowest in the National Hockey League. And this is the second straight year, and I'm sort of trying to figure this out right now. Like, are they just, like, Eric Comrie might be the nicest guy you'll ever meet in the National Hockey League. And they just do not play for him. And I'm trying to figure out how much of this is, okay, he's the more experienced guy, so does he get the tough starts? Uh, There's a couple against New Jersey. Um, you know, in there, and we saw what the Devils can do. We, I, I talked earlier about the Canucks giving up double-digit high-danger last night for just the third time all season, and an expected goals over five. Eric Comrie's last three starts have all been those types of games. Double-digit high-danger chances, like 15, 14, and five to six in the expected goal range. It's like they're – I used to joke about this with John Gibson, and now I'm at that point with Eric Comrie. Are the Buffalo Sabres trying to kill him? Like, <laughs> it's, it's absurd, and I can't figure it out. Um, you know, and, and listen, Uko Pekalukinen's been a great story. His, for, behind the same team, his expected is almost 40 points higher at 881, which is still um, – just hovering below the average expected save percentage in the NHL this year, and he's outperforming it at a decent clip. We all know what's happened to Devin Levi there in terms of underperforming, but again, low expected numbers. You know, they're 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 in the bottom third in terms of you know their defensive metrics, their underlyings. I just can't play like this. You know, I 
We saw it last night in Vancouver. Now imagine that night after night after night for your goaltenders. And it's not every night, but, man, it's a lot of them for the Buffalo Sabres. And I know they've got a ton of talent, and maybe this is just young talent that hasn't figured out that you have to play at this end of the rink. I mean, on a night where we saw Travis Green come in and the Canucks do their best tribute to him by playing the way they did when he was here, I think most players would tell you, or in fact, some have told me, that the lessons they've learned or claimed to have learned, I guess, heading into last night under Rick Tockett, are lessons that Travis used to try and teach them. But you have to be ready to learn. You have to be ready to do the work. You have to understand that taking care of that end of the rink is a priority Mm -hmm. and that you can't just skate by on offensive talent. And I'm just, I'm not sure whether the system doesn't work or it's not being stressed enough or there's just too many young bodies and they haven't come to that realization. But whatever it is, if one more person tells me the goaltending isn't good enough in Buffalo when they're giving up chances like that on a nightly basis... I might just lose it. No, I'm with you because when you see the environment be as bad as it is, it's really hard just to blame the goaltender. And now the reality is there aren't enough good goalies around in the league, right? And you look at some teams have a few extras, like Montreal, they have three goalies. What should they look to do with theirs? Other teams are trying to develop goaltenders. And you and I were talking last night on our way out of the rink about how the NHL is becoming a developmental league. Considering the, the lack of talent, shouldn't goalies be worth more in trade? And also, are we seeing teams just feel like they're better off trying to develop goalies? At, at this level yeah yeah make sure both right like as soon as a guy like i do think you're seeing hesitation as i mentioned i think that's what you're seeing with caden primo like if caden primo had stepped up to this point with montreal and shown that he is a bona fide nhl goaltender at this point in his career i think they probably would have traded jake allen by now but without that happening they re-signed sam montembeau who's, who's been you know he's taken a step in the past two years there um, after being re- reunited with his former uh, junior goalie coach, now working for the Canadian, Derek Raymond. And, you know, I think in the perfect world, Caden takes a similar step and they move on from the veteran. But until Caden takes that step, they're, they're kind of stuck. They don't want to leave themselves with one established goalie and one guy who's may- maybe not quite there, yet they can't send him to the minor leagues because they're confident. You know, I know they believe they'll lose him. There, there are teams that will claim Caden Primo from them. So a um, bit of a jam. And, and the tough part there is you're, you're still in the business of winning games to a degree. So you can't play Caden Primo that much and he can't get starts and he's sort of stuck in limbo. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what you do in that situation. I, I, like I said, perfect world, Primo shows he's ready and you make that move, but you look around the league, there's a lot of this, like, you know, like Joe Hofer's, uh, you know, as much as the focus was on Devin Levi coming straight out of the NCAA and nobody had done it in so long, which is kind of like, hey, Jeremy Swayman only played a few games in the AHL, by the way. Spencer Knight, I know he's in the American Hockey League right now after, after you know, being in the program last year, um, but he went straight from the NCAA to the NHL and had success. Like, for years, we... We we were told the NHL is whenever goalie or whenever sorry uh, head coaches didn't want to play young players it was the NHL is not a development league. Well now it is. It has been for forwards and defensemen for a long time, and I think you could make the argument it is now for goalies as well. And there's a handful around the league that you know frankly when I look at the numbers and look at the way things are going and and yet they're still on an NHL team. It's it's hard not to look at it and say man I think he'd be better served still in the American League, but he's here. And when you talk to the goalie coaches, it's like cap we need the we need somebody who doesn't cost us much in order to keep everybody else under the cap and so they're willing to sort of make the nhl a development league 
um, for young goalies. And, and in some cases, they just they hit that stage where they need waivers, and they're not willing to take that chance. So that combination, we're seeing more and more guys who you know, maybe aren't quite ready for prime time, but, but in the best league in the world learning on the fly. And, and the hard part is often learning on the fly without the benefit of a ton of games played. He is Kevin Woodley, and he has a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, thanks for this, Woodley. Uh, you're the best. You nailed it, Reach. Yes. boy. We're getting there. Getting it. Getting it. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650. is brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Yeah. Uh, impressed by the car. Oh, yeah? We'll say. Yeah. Impressive, impressive vehicle. Um, so shouts to... Uh, Hyundai, White Rock Hyundai especially, for uh, supplying Woodley and uh, sat with a drive home last night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Courtesy of Woodley slash Hyundai. Uh, it is uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. It's time for Overrated and Underrated on Canuck Central.